You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Triple Content Creations and Podcast Jukebox present Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark. We're already at episode 135. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much for clicking. My name is Andrew Gerza. I am your delectably disabled host of the show. I'm your disabled Dick Smith. And get comfy, cozy, and crippled. And let's get this show started. If you are a Patreon supporter of the show, that means you are listening to this episode one day early before everyone else. As a big, giant thank you for your support. And as part of your support... I like to give sexy shoutouts to my new Patreon supporters on the air and make them blush in their ear holes when they're listening to the show. So we got a pledge this week that I want to uh, give a shout out to the person and make a sexy pun with their name. We got a $5 pledge from Les Addison. Les Addison, thank you for Les adding me into your life. Thanks, Les, for doing that. Um really means a lot when you can pledge your hard-earned dollars, so thank you, Les. Um, If you are able and want to support the show, you can pledge $1 a month to get the show early and a sexy shout-out, a sexy awkward shout-out like I just did for Les. Um, So you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as much or as little as you can. I really, really appreciate it. Helps this one-of-a-kind show, keep going. One of the things I also love about this show is the fan base. And I know because I, I look at the numbers on the show all the time, and I get about between 700 and 800 downloads a week for the show, and I think that's just great for a show that I do out of my bedroom. I couldn't be more thankful for that kind of support. And so I know there are awesome people listening, and I know there are awesome people that have stories about sexuality that they want to tell. And maybe you don't want to be an actual guest on the show, but maybe you want to write me a letter and you want me to read it back to you in hilarious fashion. 
and speculate widely or give you advice or talk through your stuff or just share your story. And if you want to do that, you can write in for a Minnesota. You know I love the Minnesotes. You can write in for a tiny little morsel of awesomeness that I will release as uh, as I get letters in. I'll release little Minnesotes of the show on the feed. And you can be a part of that by emailing disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. On the show today, I sit down with sex educator, badass, and my new friend, Anne Hottership. She tapped me a few months ago to be part of her sex education series, Everyone Deserves Sex Ed, and that's where she sits down with sex educators and we get educated by each other on how to educate others about sex. And it was a really cool opportunity, and I got to teach sex educators and people who work in the sex education field digitally via Skype all about sex and disability for her. And so it was just amazing, and you should follow all her work and head over to her site, everyonedeservesexed.com. It's amazing. But when we were planning that out and figuring out what to talk about, I said, I want to have you on my show, and we should totally have sit and talk to, to each other for an hour about the things. I really love what you're doing here. Can we find a way to have you on my show about sex and disability? So I sent her my standard questionnaire that I send every guest before I book them to figure out what we're going to talk about so I can build a narrative around them and all that wonderful stuff. So she sent it back to me, and I was expecting we were going to talk about something else entirely. And she sent back her issues with, well, shit. She talks about chronic constipation a lot in this episode and how chronic constipation kind of affected her sense of self, her sense of safety, her sense of body confidence, her sense of sexuality, all these things were affected by her chronic constipation. And even I, when reading her first questionnaire, I was like, well, is chronic constipation really a disability? And when you listen to Anne talk in this interview, you learn that it is. And we also talked before we hit record, before this interview started, she said to me, you know, do I, does this count as having a disability? And I really think that after you listen to this, you'll agree that it does. We also have some funny stories about poo, sex, and trying to hold in your poo when you're having sex. And I just really, I really, really, truly um, resonated with her on this. The things she said was really important and really got me in the gut, if you will. Also, the whole first half of this interview has nothing to do with sex. It's really a kind of a crash course into how chronic constipation works for Anne. And one of the things I noticed when when she was talking and as I was listening to her tell her story is that this podcast really has become a disability and sexuality podcast. By that I mean, when I first started recording this show, I was really concerned about how to make the show all about sex and disability all the time. The two had to be consistently tied to each other, which made it hard for me to come up with episodes, ideas, and things like that. But now, after listening to Anne on this episode, I realized that I want to make this show more... I want to broaden it out a little bit, and I want to make it a disability and sexuality podcast. So it's gonna, we're still going to do all the same things, but if you want to come on the show and talk about something that is just related to disability, I want to do that with you, because I think we don't talk about disability enough, and disability after dark can mean sexuality, and it can also mean... Tell me the stuff we don't talk about enough. So 
let's do that going forward. If you want to talk about disability, just disability on the show, let's do that. That's what we're going to do going forward. But without further ado, here's my interview with Anne Hottership right now on Disability After Dark. Anne Hottership, hello. Hi. Welcome to Disability After Dark. I am really excited you're here. We're going to get into some heavy shit today on the show. Yeah, I think literally and figuratively. <laughs> there, There's a pun there. Just wait for it, audience. It's coming. Um, <laughs> so before we get into all the stuff we're going to talk about today, because you've sent me like paragraphs of things we're going to talk about, um, which, is, which is great, and thank you. Uh, Why don't you introduce yourself to the the Disability After Dark audience and tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, well, um, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am a certified sex and relationships educator. Um, I spend half my time working with uh, people who are newly recovered. Um, Oh, that's like the worst. Is there any way to like rewind? Ugh. I'm... um, I spend half my time in recovery centers working with people who are newly sober or have made a recent change in compulsive behavior like, you know, eating disorder or some other coping mechanism that went uh, awry. And so um, I work with people who are sort of like figuring out their identity um, as they are today versus how they were even a month earlier Um, and unpacking a lot of stuff having to do with sexuality, sexual identity, um, how they express themselves. And, um, and then I also spend the other half of my time working with sex toy companies to help, um, among other things, uh, promote their products, um, offer some marketing campaigns that are based in, uh, you know, accurate pieces of information that are, are also still compelling. So finding ways to sort of like promote and market stuff without using tired bullshit tropes like, you know, battery operated boyfriend or fat shamey shit or, you know, ableist shit. Um, and incorporating as much sex ed into that as I'm allowed to. Yeah. Um, so it's like an interesting, and I'm a Gemini too, so I, I sometimes joke that it's like, I, I it, both of those jobs require two very different approaches and brains and skill sets, um, but I guess I'm already kind of used to being like two versions of something or, you know, two halves of something. So, um, so that's what I spend a lot of my time doing all under the umbrella of sex and sexuality. And then you're like, you're just a badass sex educator. What people listening (laughs) by the time this comes out, this is going to go out later than I wanted it to, but by the time this comes out, (laughs) we will have already worked together Mm -hmm. on a thing we're doing that's coming up that I'm so excited about. But you, you bring in some pretty high class people to do, cool educational stuff with you so I am one of them so at some point people who are listening will maybe hear a version of what I did with you I don't know we'll figure it out I hope so yeah it's so funny that I even forgot to mention that um I recently founded something called everyone deserves sex ed um I call it edsy for short and it's a an educational organization for um anyone looking for a sex educator to work with in their area or uh looking for help working with um, kids or family members having to do with sexual issues, uh, any type of sort of one-on-one service or workshop that is dedicated to helping people understand sexuality in a more um, in more accurate, less biased, less fear-based way, 
And that yeah. includes parents and teenagers too. I love working with them. It, that's, it's, so. it's amazing. And so this thing we're doing is happening this coming weekend, but by the time people listen to this, it will have already passed. I was, mm-hmm. trying, I was trying to do it early, but like I have so many that I have to release. I'm like, oh, fuck, I can't. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. So... So at some point, I'll try to maybe get the audio of what I did for you, maybe, and I'll put it as part of like a special Patreon-supported yeah. thing. So put a dollar towards the show, listeners, and then you get to hear cool things like that. But that's we're not here to plug my shit right now. We're here to plug your shit right now, quite literally. So, yeah. so one of the first things you put on your questionnaire to me was that yeah. you kind of felt uncomfortable talking you know labeling yourself as a disabled person before we hit record we had like a good five minute conversation about that and i kind of wanted to just get in with that and i kind of wanted to learn how you might see yourself as disabled or chronically ill and why that may be may or may not be uncomfortable for you i think for me because i've been a wordsmith and a writer wordsmith is like the worst word but like i've used words to communicate like the written word especially since i was a tiny kid and Words have such power, and so when there's discussion of like you know labels or categorization, to me I put so many qualifiers on what is required for me to have earned a you know earned a label or earned mm-hmm. myself into a category. And there is absolutely there's so much insecurity based in it. My own like l- lower difficulties with self-esteem like so much it's really frustrating um and like good enoughness you know have i am i good enough for this or good enough for that and then which is so fascinating in ingrained in that is ableist shit and is other type of shit that is like old programming from many many moon ago you know and back when i learned what these qualifiers were when i learned other people's definitions and you know, not knowing that I, I'm allowed and empowered, I can be empowered to self-define my experience and tell other people to go fuck off with their definitions and, and shit. Um, and that's still a thing that I'm unpacking, not necessarily on the sex side. Um, I, fortunately, I've had decades to do that. But all these other aspects of my life, especially with my chronic illness, there's, there's so much left to unpack with it. Um, starting with the shame of even talking about the the specific details of, of some of my illness. Well, let's, I mean, if you're okay, let's go right into what some of those details yeah. are. Um, and I, I love the way you, I love how quickly in the questionnaire you kind of, you eliminated that for me. Like I was falling over laughing how quickly and comfortably <laughs> in at least writing it down for me you were. Yeah, and writing. I just was like, why hasn't this person written a book on this hilarious like part of their life? Um, that's so funny oh my god so if you would yeah why don't you tell us uh what how you might identify as chronically ill or disabled yeah well i for sure identify as chronically ill and i feel like andrew you are going to help me with my hang-ups about the word disabled oh it's happening Um, today (laughs) totally um i well i have chronic constipation and it's something that and it comes in a form that doesn't have like a fancy diagnosis. So it's, Some not, it's not like ulcerative colitis. It's not like right. It's not colitis. I've been tested for all all the things. Um, it's not like IBS. I've, it's not like 
some doctors would call it IBS-C or something, um, when really, you know, IBS is still a bit of a catch-all term for just stuff that's wrong with intestines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, you know, I, I've experienced this since, uh, for about uh, 13 years. So I'm, you know, it's not my first rodeo. There is a lot that I know about this condition and what it is and what it's not and, you know, what exacerbates it. Um, but because it does not have, like, this known label and therefore like a known treatment, it's been really tough for me to live with it because it's, there's no like category or place that I can put it. And so I've only, I've had to try to understand it purely through my experience and then try to walk through life managing other people's opinions and decisions about my experience. Yeah. Doctors and wellness practitioners and educators and friends alike everyone's got a thought and opinion, everyone's got a suggestion, and everyone wants to t sort of tell me what it is and what it's not and what my problem is. And, and how you should eat more green and how you should do more fiber yep. and how you should do more exercise and then, yeah, all that stuff. Yep, yep. And it's just like, and I will say, it's not that I just say no, fuck off. It's like, it's been 13 years. You're damn right I've tried all of those things at least twice. Yeah. I have... I have adjusted my life to, I mean, it helped contribute to disordered eating. I mean, it was just, I had, I've had, you know, eating disorder-ish issues and compulsive exercise problems related to body image. And assuming that that might also help my digestive problems, I fully dove into that those disordered behaviors to the point where I, I have, I have a, muscular effects from it today. And so... This is a this is an issue that is also has also been tried to um, d doctors and practitioners have also tried to tell me that it's all in my head and it's purely because of my brain, oh, which great. was so, just as unhelpful. Yeah, it's even more unhelpful because they're telling you that they're telling you that it's not real. It's and not real. Yep, it's it's all made up, and it's because you're so screwed up mentally that you have now given yourself a debilitating illness. And we can't fix it for you because technically it's your fault. Oh, fuck. As somebody who has IBS, like the mixture version of that, whatever the fuck mm -hmm. that is, um, I can tell you it's very real and it like, it does stop your whole day if you're having yep. a flare up of, e of either one, if it's constipation or if it's diarrhea or mm -hmm. if it's a mixture of both, it stops you in your tracks, sometimes for days. And mm -hmm. I mean, I've talked about shit on my show before, so I'm... Okay. Fully comfortable to bring it up again. Like, uh, it's <laughs> something that's happened to me a lot, and I'm just, for myself, this may not work for everybody, but for myself, for me, a change in diet has seemed to work, but being mm -hmm. really strict in, like, exactly what I'm eating, choosing the foods myself, making sure they're okay. And I wasn't giving that out as, like, a weird suggestion to you, cause, but I'm just saying, for me, that mm -hmm. worked. And But, like, for you, maybe not. And I think. What needs to be valid about that is that if you're having a day about it, somebody, especially a professional, shouldn't be telling you it's all in your head. That's not fair. No, it, it's so bad, especially because I think what they potentially were meaning to say is to like mention the effects of anxiety, PTSD, and fight, flight, freeze when it comes to our digestion. But yeah. they never got into the nuance of that at all. Um, and I had to sort of learn that a little bit on my own to understand that the freezing of my large intestine is a trauma response. Yeah. And it's 
my gut has always been re reactive to trauma in interestingly different ways since I was a tiny kid. And it's since 2006, it manifested in a way that, in, you know, in order to keep me safe, in order to keep me secure, it needed to hold, it needed to freeze, don't move, don't change, don't shift, just stay where it is. And once your your muscles and your brain are, are in that pattern of trauma response, just like with any type of trauma response, yep. it requires a ton of work to undo that and to repattern. So do you think, and it, the, I'm just talking my ass here, I'm trying to make mm -hmm. as many shit puns as possible. Um, Go for it, love it. <laughs> do you think that you um, your, your gut is in a state of shock then? I don't think it's shock. I think that right now it's simply just doing what it knows. I think it's a lot of muscle memory. And I think that it is sensitive and easily triggered by um, change in environment, any type of lack of safety, whether that's physical or emotional. Mm -hmm. um, and it's there is an absolute direct effect when I work with my fascia. That is the the most recent thing when I do some fascial release techniques and work with a practitioner for my fascia specifically, I notice that my gut is able to relax enough for something to at least move around some of the, you know, kinks and some of and the so fascia again, just so I'm clear, that's like your that's like your like that's like your muscle underneath the skin, right? The deeper muscle? Kind of. It's sort of like a web, almost spider-webby connective tissue that is throughout our whole entire body, and it is directly connected to our nervous system. Okay. And so our, and I, I had a practitioner describe this wonderfully, like for people who have worn stockings, for instance, like when you pull on the knee of your stocking, it yanks the entire stocking to your knee everything gets out of place when that one area gets out of whack. And the same thing happens with your fascia. If something gets tight or torqued in your hip, you're going to feel it in your head and your neck and your shoulders because it's yanking down. Everything has to pull along with it. There's no elastic. Like, so it's like, almost it's like elastic. it's not so much muscle. It's like and the energy from all of those points is affecting your whole body. Yeah, I mean, it's it's connective tissue in your muscles, and and your muscles ha like are best friends with it. Like every everything is sort of connected together. At, but the, the fascial network is something that is only recently it's been uh, discussed in like physical therapy or mainstream medicine type scenarios where people are trying to understand where some of their chronic pain is coming from, yep. or why they have constant headaches. And they're finding that there is more to physical therapy than just getting your joints moving or trying to remove a, a knot in your muscle. Yeah, physical therapy can be great if it's combined with like talk therapy. I would love those two things to come together because like totally. when I I don't do physio anymore because I feel like it's super ableist in a lot of ways, and I I don't mm. want to be fixed. I want to work on stuff, but I don't want to be fixed. And a lot of times physio for me as a disabled person who is like markedly in a wheelchair is mm -hmm. like, we're going to fix you. I don't want to, I don't need to be fixed. And so, but if, mm -hmm. if I was with a physiotherapist and they talked to me about my day or they talked to me about how I want to suck some dick later, or I mean, mm -hmm. I, I wish a physio would, I could have that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but so like, I mean, for sure there's so much more than just, just the muscles and just the moving around. There's, there, it's, it goes so much deeper than that. Um, yeah. 
Can you? I'm curious. So, how does this chronic constipation affect your day? I think I know how, but can you like give us? Can you give us like a, a rundown of what that means for you? I can. I mean, I wish, and it's probably not going to be like a nice, concise thing because it's really, it's so emotional for me. On this podcast, um, you don't have to be neat. It does not come in a box. So feel free to be as messy and as fucked up as you want to be. It's fine. Hooray. So as listeners, some listeners may know, you know, our large intestine and our brains are connected with neuro, uh, with receptors. Our majority of our serotonin is made in our large intestine. People don't know that. I didn't so, know that. Now I do. Cool. And, uh, yeah. Thank you. And we need serotonin. It's important. Um, so number one thing that how it affects me is uh, I'm heavy and depressed more than I usually am. Um, when my gut is literally loaded with shit, my mind and my emotions are loaded with shit. And they go hand in hand. They really don't get to be on their own. And so immediately it's just a heavy dread burden feeling physically and emotionally um it's i do not have like for me pooping shitting whatever defecating whatever we want to call it wow it's defecating. not it's not a great word it's like so awful but but wonderful it, it's like yeah. i want to take it back so defecate um, there, I don't have confidence. I don't. I don't go to sleep feeling like, oh, I can't wait to take my first shit of the day. It's gonna feel fantastic. I don't ever if feel I that way either. It, I don't feel that way about my poo. Well, I guess I don't know. I the people, do people I talk do? to, like, do people feel great about that because uh, I don't. Yeah. So when you when you take a giant shit, you actually get a rush of dopamine and serotonin. I would have it, it's either both or one or the other, and I'll need to look it up. It's. Similar to when people are like, oh, why does my cat or my dog go fucking crazy after they take a shit? It's because they're getting that rush, those endorphins from taking the shit. It's a chemical response. And so we we feel that when we take a, a, a big poop, like a complete bowel movement, not one I mean, from like let's cramping. talk about that maybe a little bit. Who the fuck has that taken a complete bowel? Like who in adult <laughs> age 2019, unless you're like really into your... I mean, unless you're super into it and doing all, like, even it, but even if you're not, who, I don't know anybody who's taking a full shit. I, I will say, like, it has happened to me, which is why I know it's a thing that can happen again. Like, I will obviously very sporadically have what one would call a complete movement where you feel the sensation of fullness your inner sphincter that you don't have voluntarily voluntary control over it releases as a result of the yeah. urge and you know your brain's communicating yeah. and then you feel it up against you know your out Pulling. external voluntary yeah, yeah. like ooh i actually have the urge to go this is exciting and then going to the restroom and then having peristalsis function as properly it's it pushes everything out muscularly you don't even have to have to do anything i don't have there's no qualifier there's no i'm giggling because what the fuck is that i haven't had a poo like that in the longest time i got it in the longest yeah. time the longest. it's oh it's like play the lottery if this happens because at least for, for anyone who has digestive issues of course this is going to sound like some sort of miracle mystery made up Disney. It movie. really does. It really like can there be a yeah. can there be Frozen Three? Did did Elsa <laughs> take a poo? Did it like can there be that? 
It could. I mean, I bet we could make some sort of little character who's all about, like, poop celebration. <laughs> like, I don't know. The bathroom fairy. Ugh. It's important. But, but, yeah, so it's, so, like, it's where you just sit on the toilet. You don't have to strain. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to move around. Your your body just pushes it out the way that it's supposed to. And it, and you, and you, when it's done, it feels complete. Like, there's not something hanging out. There, You don't feel something up in your rectum. Like, there's just... It's gone. No, that has never been my experience. Ugh. As an adult, that has never been my... And I've had constipation issues since I was God, a, little, <coughs> a little kid. And then when I when I contracted C. diff last year, oh. like, then I got IBS diarrhea for a good year and a half. And I Ugh. just recently, last month, I just recently changed my diet, like I said. And now yeah. I feel better. But it took me literally... That's fantastic two years of, like, trying diet changes, eating, like, be really being careful, not going out, shitting myself constantly, worrying mm. about all that stuff, and I just now feel comfortable. So I, go, I fully, I fully, and I, I that doesn't mean I'm pooing normally, it just means I feel better. So, like, I get exactly what you're, like, that's why when you, when you brought up shit, I was like, oh, yes, we're having a conversation about it, because mm -hmm. I've been there, totally. Yeah, you know, it's like all of that. I mean, just all of that is just like the the emotional, mental impact of it. Whether it's fear of shitting yourself in public, which in turn could uh, promote constipation. That fear of holding, I don't yeah, want to shit. Because you don't before. let it out, and then the muscles contract, and then everything stays in. And it just stays. That's been a thing that's been an issue for me. Absolutely, I had the, the flip side of this when I was a, a teenager. I could be worried about getting diarrhea and then give myself diarrhea within five minutes. Oh, yeah. And it, on the one hand, it was, like, kind of convenient because it absolutely fed into my body image, you know, eating problems. So, like, the more I shit, the thinner I felt. Total bullshit. Yeah, which is totally, but, like, like, body image yeah. probably, of course. Oh, it's all tied. Um, but then, so I would have diarrhea, like, in the middle of class and have to get up from in front of everyone, which, for whatever reason, was just, like, the worst for me. Because you have to ask permission in my school. My school, you had to write a thing on a pass. And oh, I, yeah. everyone... I, when I was in grade school, not the same thing. When I was in grade school, I had a standing machine that I was forced, not forced, but as part of physio, I was <laughs> told to go in it. And I had to go in it during okay. math class. And when I, when I, because of my disability, when I stood... For long periods of time in that in that forced position, it hurt my whole body, and my response uh -huh. would be to throw up. So, I remember uh -huh. being I gotta say I was 12, 12, 13, and I was in math class and I was paying attention to the lesson, and all of a sudden I felt sweaty and barfy, and I uh -huh. ended up throwing up all over the <laughs> all over the desk and being ha oh. and had to be I had to be wheeled out of the classroom in front of my classmates. So not the same thing. But that embarrassing moment of like, oh, you're the different one. Like, oh no, yep, so I get it. Yes, it's so it's so tough, and so um, and obviously you know diarrhea sucks too. It's all it's all shitty, right? Um, ha ha ha. But I think it, we found the title for this podcast. Yes, let's do it. Okay. Um, the thing with constipation is it feeds into my body image problems. It literally fills up my gut to the point where um, I'm distended, bulbous looking. It, it triggers all of my 
still unhealed, but but healed for sure, just not completely healed. Um, issues with like feeling large, having the large stomach. Oh yeah, um, as a gay man. As a queer man, I, I, I'm fed in the same thing. When I have constipation issues and I'm distended and having all those issues, I have a bit of a belly. And that makes me feel like, oh, I, you know, I'm going to be, no one's going to love me. No one's going to want to fuck this because look at me. And so when, right. I, when I started changing my diet and losing weight, there was a moment where I went, oh, I look better now. And I had to like stop. I, I'm continually having to stop that thinking and being like, you were fine yeah. before too. It, it, yeah. It's okay. It's such it's such bullshit because I also grew up as like the fat kid in school and for it seemed like there was just there had to have been something in the water because like all of the all of the the girls that were around me you know obviously give or take some like they all kind of have similar looking bodies and so I just assumed that my body I had that body underneath me I just had to get there somehow which was why which is I was why you so decided not to eat. Right, or I would eat very strict diet. I mean, when I was in high school, it was this weird... I hadn't even quite gotten into the, the ED stuff that I had in my 20s. I was more like, as long as I run four miles a day and do an hour and a half of my workout training, I can eat a big dinner. It doesn't matter what I eat. And so I would, like, drain myself of such energy. I would be so starving. So by the time I finished my insane, stupid workout three hours later, I would just eat anything that was in front of me because I was so in need of Sustenance. nourishment yeah. and replenishment. And so then I'd go to bed and in the morning, I, I knew I was going to shit somehow, whether it was through nervous diarrhea or something. So I didn't have that feeling of like fear and dread about what I ate. That fear I, of like wanting to poo and not being able to poo is yeah. literally my most worst fear. I hate that feeling. It's the worst. It is I mean it is absolute suffering partly because once once I got really connected to my my feelings, my emotions, I was very disconnected until my late twenties. Um, I started to become more conscious conscious of how it feels physically and emotionally to be constipated. My coping mechanism for a long time, among other things, was to disconnect from that suffering because I couldn't live with it. And so I numbed it out until that stopped working. And now I am so the opposite of numb to it that it almost like completely encompasses my day. It can make it, 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 it puts a brain fog over me that the, the physical feeling of hold, holding all of this shit, days of shit. Yeah. I can't think straight. It's hard to focus. Um, because all you want to do is poo and your body is not letting you. I, I, I've, I totally have been there. Recently, I... Um, and Sorry, listeners. This is, this is a sex podcast. I promise we're getting there. But it's also a disability podcast. So this part is, of the deal. This is the part yeah. we're in right now. So deal with it or skip ahead. It's, this part's happening. Um, <laughs> you know, so when I, when I was... I was constipated recently for 10 days. Couldn't mm. poo. Tried everything. Mm couldn't do it and on day 10 oh. my plan was to go to the doctor and be like okay what are the options what do we do is it surgery had like what goes what happens and I, I managed to go on day 10 and mm. the, the relief I had of like okay you went all right it's safe now like I remember taking a breath being like I can like when I saw something in, in the bowl I was like all right I can I can relax you did something so you're how <laughs> yes. You're not. Your colon is not going to die. You're all right. But I still went to right. the. I still went to the doctor and was like, 
is that okay to not poo for 10 days? Like, how, what? And she was like, well, that's a really long time. And I was like, I know. I lived through all of that. What do I do? What, did the doctor have anything to say? They they gave me the doctor's speak, which was like, well, do more fiber and drink some water. And so I did that. I did that. I've been, I've been doing that since. And I, I do feel better. But I, I, I was so... I was so distraught by what what had happened that I actually went to the doctor a few weeks ago and tried to go on SSRIs to try to calm mm-hmm. myself down. I took an SSRI for one day and I was like loopy and not okay mentally. So I was like, all right, well, I can't do that anymore. So like I had yep. one and I threw them out because I was like, I can't <sighs> function. And then so then so my, my mom and I went to San Diego last month for a thing I was doing. And mm-hmm. she was with me, and she's like, I'm not going to let you eat the food you normally eat. Watch, we'll fix it. And I was like, okay, so we did, and it, seem, it seems to be working. But mm. the fear and the the anger around, like, if I can't poo, I can't fuck. If I can't poo, I can't invite people over. If I can't poo, I don't want to go out. If I can't poo, right. I don't want to eat. Like, what? it totally right. fucks with your whole day. Yep. I mean, with, with my thing, it's because I... I knew that there was the likelihood of my body holding on to whatever I ate the day before, it affected what I would eat. And so it's like, I don't want to eat something that I don't want to have holding on, or I don't want to have to carry around what I'm about to eat for the next five days. So maybe I'll just eat lettuce and light things and stuff that is not going to make me feel extra heavy. Because if something is going to stay in me like fucking toxic garbage for four plus days, I'd rather it be broccoli or lettuce than like a cheeseburger and potato chips. And so it even extra fed into my eating problems and my food issues because for a survival technique, like I couldn't eat cake and tons of sugar and this or that because I knew what it would do in my gut. And, uh, so it was just like everything was so tied and tangled together. And I mean, in terms of dating and relationships and going out, oh. like when you eat on a date, what do you eat? Burgers, fries, cake. Usually, that's the that's the staple food you're eating. I guess people did that. I, not me. I was just so hyper conscious. There was just like I mean, I I live in Los Angeles and dated in Los Angeles, so. I had access to restaurants with very specific menus. Yeah, yeah. But I, I ate a lot. For a long time, I was a pescatarian, so I didn't even want to eat meat because it felt too hard to digest, and I didn't want to... It was like a bowling ball in my gut. So I would just eat a lot of, like, you know, fish and plant-based stuff. And, um, and the thing with all of this is, like, constipation contributes to anxiety and depression. It contributes to low self-esteem and body image problems. So, like, what is the first thing that's going to die with that? Your sex desire, yeah. your feeling of worthiness around another person, or even with yourself, and so like dating with this issue was horrendous. Let's, Being in any relationship, let's really start was with hard. like masturbating with this issue. Who wants to get off when they're feeling bloated and gross, and mm-hmm. like who wants to to have a moment with themselves when they can't poo? Like, right. I, what, do you have any any stories about trying to like be with yourself when you couldn't? Totally. I mean, like, it just, I would, I don't know, my, my, there wouldn't be times where I'd be like, hmm, that was hot, let's go fucking jerk off for a minute. Like, there wasn't any of that, because I was already carrying around such heavy burden that it was almost like, 
layers of stuff that the desire, the feeling of desire couldn't penetrate through, pun intended. So you were almost so, also sexually consummated too. In some ways. Well, here's the thing. So in my 20s, at the height of, my, of this constipation problem was also the height of my disconnect. So that survival mechanism to numb out the discomfort yep. helped because I was my most sexual in terms of like physical expression with randos that I, I've ever been in my life. And so what would end up happening is um, I wouldn't really feel the worst of the constipation for like five or six days. And I would have to schedule a colonic because it was the only thing that would move anything out. And so I would often, the days following a colonic, I'd feel fucking fantastic. And so I'd be like, who can I fuck? Like, who, let's schedule a date. Like I feel skinny pretty i'm not holding on to the stuff this a temporary lift of the burden like I mean, fuck, that's what i would do like I, that is yes. what i would that's totally what i would do it's celebration you know i just got my shit out how many dicks can i suck right now let's go right like <laughs> let's go to town and let's let's like really preserve this feeling and because i know it's so temporary yeah yeah you know? yeah and so this idea of like feeling safe or feeling comfortable for me was conditional and temporary, which it can't be for you to be able to survive, but I didn't know anything else. And so I adapted and accommodated my entire life around the fact that safety and comfort was temporary and conditional. Oh, and so, tough. so, so, so tough. And so there's been absolute deprogramming and depatterning since then, but like that's, a lifelong process and I also you know like I've got a job and a life to manage at the same time so it's just like it's been it's been a lot but I'm closer to feeling more um I don't even know how to describe it like I, I don't know I haven't managed it by any means but I am closer to understanding why my body is the way it is than I have ever been and so it's easier to sort of like meet it where it's at and I don't have to justify feeling terrible. Um, it's, it's allowed to take up space and that's an important step toward healing it. Yeah, it's still, giving it, it, a, giving it, it a space to be whatever it is. Yeah. How does that, like how does all of that, affect, like how does it affect just like not even your sexiness, but like your relationships, period, with friends, people, mm -hmm. like how does it affect? How does that play into all of that stuff? It's tough because it. I mean, in terms of like romantic and sexual relationships, um, that idea of like feeling safe is conditional, feeling comfortable is conditional, definitely played a role. Um, I also, you know, at a young age, learned that love was also conditional. That I had to do something to deserve it. It wasn't just like there for me, yeah. and so. I had learned that like in order to access any of those very important feelings, I had to do something. I had to earn it. And so I was never able to just like be and receive. And so in relationships, I, I was I very much latched on to the um, acts of service love language because I showed my affection through doing stuff, partly because it made me feel great, but also partly because then I knew I had done something to earn reciprocity. Yeah. And so it was just, but all of that was just like deep under layers of stuff that hadn't been really worked through yet. And so now I'm in a monogamous marriage and this is 
the first romantic sexual relationship that I've been in where there's permission for like all of this to exist plus more and um, to recognize it, see it, you know, validate it um, and then try to work through it as much as possible. Um, But even, even then it absolutely gets in the way of just accessing joy. I, it is really tough. Obviously my depression is, is really, you know, it plays a huge role in this, but like being able to just, even just get out of bed in the morning sometimes is a huge challenge and not just emotionally, obviously like physically it's hard to move around when I'm literally full of shit. Me too. Um, Me too. Right. Got it. But emotionally just feeling like any desire to deal with the day because it's like, I'm already so like the spoon theory, like so many of my spoons have already been dedicated this to trying. Why I think you're part of our community and why I, I am, and again, I'm just one disabled guy, but I would like to, you know, formally welcome you to the chronically ill slash disability community because I love it. like, Hey, welcome. Your handbook's coming in the mail. I promise. I have my shirt. I actually bought one the other day. Oh yeah. I'm so excited. I, that's, that, I'm that's watching it. Awesome. I'm, I, we actually just, put up a new design of the shirts. I, I did a really simple one with just the words and the hashtag. So Perfect. So they'll be up on the store soon. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should buy a Disabled People Are Hot shirt because they're all great. Uh, yep. <laughs> Agreed. Nice little plug for me. Um, mm-hmm. I want to ask you, though, with this monogamous marriage, how did you bring up the all the... How do you, like, lay in bed with your hot partner and be like, so... Hey, I have a shit. I have shit to talk to you about. Literally. Yeah, that's such a good question. I wish I wish I could remember how it it really came up. And I I think vulnerability was a big part of our relationship, sort of like accidentally. Um, we even a few a few months in, we were uh, encountered with big emotional challenges that I think quote unquote, you know, other couples, whatever, probably wouldn't experience right away. There was a, 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 um, a, a terminal illness in it with one of our family members and, uh, and plus some other stuff. And it was just like, Oh God. Okay. Well then we don't really have time for just like tiptoeing around the cutesy shit and just pretending that we're just in the honeymoon phase. Like we, we were kind of forced to like have real conversations and, you know, my partner is, um, really great at being vulnerable and was sort of, he was the first person, definitely cis man in my life who had actually like sat down when I was upset. And after I tried to like explain why I felt the way I felt or whatever it was, he would just sit there being like, I mean, that's totally valid. Like you're allowed to feel that. And I remember being like, um, and I mean, that for me is like, at the time, it was like, that was the key to my pussy and my heart and my brain. It was like, let me be who I am and feel. Oh, suck all your dicks. You know, how many dicks do you need sucked? Um, so, so I don't know. I don't remember how it came up, but I do remember um, I farted in front of him way sooner than I ever would have planned because part of my GI issue is like, air is consistently constantly being created by the bacteria in my gut and not the cute normal kind of air it's like oh i know the air gas yep or it's has no odor at all but it is so 
copious <laughs> that it fills me up to my bra line. Like, I am Whoa. so full of air. It's fucking nuts. And I remember being at his apartment, staying over the night, or staying the, staying the night, whatever, and um, going pee, like, having to get up, because I always have to pee first thing, and just sitting on the toilet, and, like, we were letting the door be cracked open when we peed at this point. Yeah, so you're, like, starting to see where the comfortability is with each other. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and so I'm like, he couldn't see me pee, but he could hear the pee trickle, which is a thing for me for whatever reason, like, you know, hearing everything happen in the bathroom from childhood stuff. Um, And without any warning, the, the, the cutest, most petite... Femi fart. If you wanted to genderize a fart, I suppose. Femi like a femi fart. fart <laughs> That's going to be my band name. Um, that might also be the name of this episode. I don't know. I haven't do decided yet. So there's so many gems to choose from. Uh, and I remember sitting there and, like, you know, farts are amplified in the fucking toilet bowl. <laughs> and so it was just like, I froze. He immediately froze. And I was like, oh my God. And so I just said out loud something like, I hate my life. And. All, all Nathaniel did was, I just, he reached out and just closed the rest of the door for me. (laughs) Oh, and it was just like the kindest, but also most embarrassing thing he could possibly have done for me. Of course. Like, I'll give you privacy. I just, I'll pretend I didn't hear it. But then I heard him laughing and... Because he should have laughed. Who? Everyone should laugh. Farts and I'm are sure funny. Laugh. We all should laugh at our own. We all should so laugh at farts. But it was just like this combination of like, of course this would happen to me. This is funny. And also, fuck, now this is the beginning of needing to explain that I am like a fart machine filled with garbage potentially daily. That, and I that hope you could still also love be me. a potential title. I don't, there's so many good things coming out of your mouth right now. Yay. And other holes too, apparently. Um, <laughs> good stuff, not good stuff, whatever you want to say. I mean, so la- like last week I was with a partner and we were, he was on top of me and he was like, he wasn't fucking me, but he was doing the thing that if I did have a front hole, he would have done that to me. Uh-huh. So that uh-huh. that was happening, which is hot. And halfway through I felt my belly like shift and I was like, oh, oh. oh. And oh. it was just, a sh- it, nothing happened, but it was a, just a shift. And I was like, for a minute I was like, okay. Don't want this to stop. Don't know how to tell this person that I might... I don't know what's going to happen right now. But what do I do? So, yeah, I, I fully get that fear. But, like, I think when somebody is comfortable with your farts and can, can, <laughs> can laugh with you, I mean, I think that's great. That is fucking primary partner, marriage, whatever material. Like, yes. hold on to that person if you can fart and it be, like, not only laughed at, but even, like, Celebrated. Celebrated. At this point, yeah, exactly. Looks like he will clap or he'll just look and he'll be like, oh my God, but not in a judgment. It's almost like I'm impressed and I'm never impressed with my stuff. I'm still very uncomfortable and ashamed at times, not for having it, but just my internalized shame about yeah, constipation. Yeah. Um, but like even just having that be the reaction and response in the room, it helps give me a sense of safety that I at times can't provide for myself. Yeah. So it's great. That's amazing. Very supportive. That's awesome. <laughs> one of the stories that you, well, you said you have a few, and I want to hear a few of them, because this one you wrote down, mm-hmm. oh, my God, you said to me that you have a story about some dude, d- okay, just tell me this, you know the story I'm talking about, just please yeah, tell that story. Yeah, I for sure do. So, this was, like, in the height of my have lots of sex, 
doesn't really matter with who or if I'm even attracted to them that much. It was very much like exploratory and exciting, it blah, was blah, like blah. Your dick connecty phase. <gasps> your dick connecty phase. That's what you should totally You should totally call yes. it that for now. I'm into that. I, I mean, I joke that, like, I had been out of my. I lost my virginity or, you know, social construct, but I had sex for the first time with my first boyfriend when I was 20. And so when that relationship did not work out, um, as a result of me wanting to fuck other people, um, I really just went to town and I had met this guy who was just like the sexiest, like I'm not even kidding, like just having him look at me and like circle me like prey, like sexual prey, like my pussy would just start dribbling down my legs. And I was just like, I I will do anything for you. And not quite, but like just do whatever you want to me, I guess is a better way to describe that. So he would... Over the years, you know, we would keep in touch, kind of, and, like, you know, try to schedule sex sessions. And um, at one point, during, like, the height of one of my, gosh, it was, it must have been when I was, like, 24 or 25, I had recently been to a GI specialist at Cedars-Sinai and been, I cried to the doctor because he told me it's in my head and I should just eat prunes and, um... And you I know, mean, drink prunes are amazing. And prunes are great, but like, no, they're not a solution because my problem wasn't fiber intake. My problem wasn't intake. If I took anything that would bring moisture into my gut, which is how psyllium works, yeah, and then yeah, 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 yeah. that would cause me more harm because my problem was it wouldn't release. And so, but at the time, I was like, oh, well, the doctor must know something, even though he made me cry. He's a very famous doctor. Um, I'll, I'll try some prunes, Did and I'll, I'll try... Did you see Dr. Phil before he was Dr. Phil? Is that how you say? No, believe it or not. His name was Donald, so I guess that's foreshadowing, too. Um, wow. I know. Um, but uh, So I tried all the things, and basically what happened was my gut, was it had already been filled with shit, and now it was filled with water and liquid. And it had nowhere to go and air. And so I was so bulbous and felt like if you just put a pin in me, I would spurt out water like a water balloon. But I didn't know. And I would have been fine with that. Like, I would have paid someone to punch me or puncture my gut so something could release. It was that. I was that desperate. Oh, no. And, of course, so I'm sitting on the couch. And Mr. Sexy Person, you know, Pussy Geyser, texts me. And it's like, I don't know, some version of, hey, you up or whatever. And I was just like, God damn it. I am up, but I'm also full of garbage. What do I do? And so I told him I wasn't feeling well. And he was clearly in that one track mind where it was just like, I don't even really care if, you know, you're half asleep. Like, I'm, I've, I've been thinking about you. I'm going to fuck you no matter what. I don't care what you look like right now. Blah, blah, blah. How you smell. So there was nothing I could say to him that would make him stop trying. And at one point, I got, I wasn't completely saying no, because I was like, this would be nice. I would like to feel pleasure and to feel sexy right now. Um, Because, you know, external validation was a major thing for me at the time. So, it's still a major anyway. thing for me right now. I get it. I get it. Yeah. yeah. It's a thing. And there's nothing wrong with it as long as it's not our primary only source of, you know, validation. Yeah. So I, I eventually was just like, all right, come over and let's see how I feel. 
And he comes over, and he is just, like, already in the phase of, like, he's looking at me as though I was in lingerie with, like, Barbarella hair. And you were, like, bulbous and watery and, like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, very much the opposite of that. And so I knew, like, he he was blinded to anything that I may have thought was disgusting or unattractive. Yeah. So, okay. And he really just wanted to go down on me so bad. He loved doing it. At the time, it would take me like 40 minutes, 45 minutes to reach orgasm because my brain was just so busy and That's in the way. That's a great so for me, like 45 minutes of like... It's good, but I would have to work for it and at times, and so I would sometimes get really exhausted even just being on the receiving end of it. Good. Um, but I was still learning to even receive pleasure from people. So, anywho, I'm like, all right, if I let him eat my pussy he is like two inches away from my butthole <laughs> and this could be a big problem or it could be no problem because it was so like will it or won't it i don't know and so i guess longer story less long like i lie down oh, he no, goes make, down. It, make it long I, i'm i'm ready we got the we got time <laughs> so go to town i'm like I'm lying there, he's doing all the things, he's making his little noises, he would always make these noises like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like he was eating this delicious sandwich, it was so funny, and so I'm half like, okay, I have to receive and get into the mindset of being able to sink in into my body, receive pleasure, let orgasm come near. And also because you're, you're, you, up until this point, it sounds like we're very service oriented, so like, oh yeah, the whole idea of letting somebody do it to you, you're like, what? No, that's not how this works. Totally. I mean, I I hadn't even begun to, I didn't even know what love languages were at that point. So it was very much like sex was very performative for me, but not to try to perform gender expectations. It was perform in order to like give something to my partner so that I could feel loved. I could feel love. I could deserve whatever they said back to me or did back to me, which they didn't often do. Um, So, so yeah, receiving without the fear of diarrhea was already hard for me. So now I'm lying there trying to get into the space of like, okay, he's licking my clitoris, great. But also my colon is filled with liquid shit. What happens if it decides to release? Like what happens if my sphincters are like, poof, you know? And I mean, I wish everyone could see my arm arm movements. Um. So I might need you to I'm take like, a picture of those arm movements and then <laughs> oh, maybe I will. Put it up. It's like, ugh. So I'm, yeah, lying there. It's all happening. He's making the noises. So I'm like half in pleasure, half in fear, holding, tightening, which doesn't let orgasm happen. So I was like, it was counterintuitive. Um, and I was just like, there were a couple of times where I felt a gurgle. You know, something would move, Isn't and I'd be like, oh, the scariest thing? The scary gurgle. And his face is literally, he, he would get sprayed. He would have been sprayed if this had happened. So it was like high risk, high risk scenario here. And I have I been had, there so many yeah. times. Yeah. I feel this so hard. I'm so, oh my God, it makes me feel so good. So I. <laughs> So I had to, like, a couple of times tap him on the head going, um, I, uh, you know, just, like, in preparation of telling him, run, you know, or something. And before <coughs> before I could get to it, the gurgle would stop, and then it would be fine again. Oh, the my God. The fucking so, gurgles, like, man. The worst. Such a tease. Um, so, 
anyway, I, it, gets to, it gets to the point where I'm like, all right, if I concentrated, I could have an orgasm, which would be great. However, I feel like orgasm is the most precarious place I could put myself in right now. Yeah. Because of yeah. letting go and yeah, releasing. You can't let go because then everything will let go, and then and then what do you do? Right. And so I just, at one point, just say, okay, let's just do it. And so I let myself have an orgasm, and nothing, like nothing terrible happened. I was so nervous and so conscious and aware of my surroundings and how things felt and the littlest shift in my gut and do I need to tell him to stop and it, but I still was able to have an orgasm and he had no idea what he had potentially just avoided like he had no clue I never told him obviously and so I wanted him to come back at some point and um then he like left and then I'm just lying there on the bed like Oh my God! What, like I don't. I had this like I don't know this weird thing of like oh I feel fantastic I had an orgasm hooray, and also I evaded a horrible situation. Yeah. But also now. I wish that during the orgasm I could have shit. I kind of wish that I shat. <laughs> Not on him. So have you ever thought about like doing it on the toilet, like having an orgasm on the? I know I know what I'm about to say. Have you ever thought about having an orgasm on the toilet so you could just like go? I've tried. I mean, I'm telling you, I have tried. There's the the holding pattern in parts of my colon are so ingrained that it's beyond just sphincter control. So, like, my sphincter totally releases when I have an orgasm, like they usually do. But the muscles and connective tissue that hold my gut in place are already so tight that it doesn't really matter. I'm wondering, and I could be totally off base here, maybe I'm totally wrong, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not diagnosing anything, but I am yeah. a disabled person, and I've talked to a lot of disabled people on the show who have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is a Ooh, connective tissue issue where they have hypermobility, hyperflexibility, but mm-hmm. at its core, it's a connective tissue issue. So maybe, I don't know, anybody with EDS who's listening... Is this a thing? Am I wrong? Again, not a doctor, not diagnosing shit, just saying maybe. I don't know. Um, that's it. I mean, it's things like that have come up in discussion with doctors, but they have never. Whatever, I guess, other symptoms that I lack, they never went further than to bring it up and then, like, do a muscle test. Or just like look at my my body for other features. So who knows? I mean, there also could be some, you know, some disorder that I have having to do with you know my fascia or something that doesn't have a, a name yet. Have they ruled out um, parasites? Oh yeah, I've had par. I mean, I I could very potentially have parasites now. A lot of us do, but the parasites that I could potentially have in my gut wouldn't affect what's going on in terms of the tension in the gut. Yeah. So it could definitely be contributing to like gas and other discomfort for sure. But it doesn't matter because your muscle memory will not let you let go. Let it go. And so it's really like if I, the most likely, um, you know, diagnosis quote unquote is this is just a, the way my body has adapted to trauma from my past and um, like a lot of our bodies do. And it has not, 
fully been able to get out of that trauma response pattern and stay out. Because yeah. I can get out temporarily, because I've worked on that for years. But it, I spring back into it at times. Fun. Um, I want to yeah. move into a part of this that we haven't gotten to yet that I we talked a few weeks ago, and I'm just reading. I'm reading the end of that story, and you did hashtag no explosions. Oh my god, so funny. <laughs> um, I forgot you, story. but you talked about dr dream work, and I wanted to yeah. bring up like some of that. It's like, well, so what is dream work for you? How do you use it to like? Tell me about how all that works. Yes. Oh, that's such a good, good, you know, question. So, dream work is the thing that started my transformation to the healing journey that I've been on in the last five years. Dream, dream work. There's lots of different kinds. People are most familiar with Jungian dream work, and Freud has lots of feelings about dreams, obviously. But I'm trained in something called natural dream work, where it's literally you focus on the emotional reactions and responses you have in your dreams, and then you try to relate them to your waking life. So it's less about analyzing symbolism, though at times we will look at symbols, you know, of course, um, but more about how did you feel in the situation? How do you feel about this person who showed up? What is your relationship to that feeling and when's the last time you felt it? And so we get to use the, like our dreams are suggesting to us areas that either we're currently struggling with and could use support on or emotions are parts of our life that we're numbed out to or disconnected to so a lot of my dream work started with um uncovering this place that i call the doghouse and it's an emotional response that i have to uh when i'm quote unquote bad when i've been bad um and my growing up you know my dad would not a literal doghouse but he would figuratively and emotionally put me in the doghouse when I had done something to make him upset. Yeah. And the doghouse meant no one was talking to me. I didn't say a word, but I was still with everyone, like in the room or in the car, oh, but and in the doghouse now. Yeah. And so it became, even though it's horrible, that became my familiar space and familiarity equals safety in our brains. Yeah. So my safe space became this disconnected, I am bad, I, I can't get out until someone else lets me, and what can I do or say to try to get out of here sooner? I mean, so in a way, that sounds really metaphorically I, to your shit. That sounds like almost yes, like your turd is saying, like, how do I get out of here? <laughs> like, totally. Like, like, what do I need to do to get out? It's absolutely. And and so it became, you know, that, that doghouse emotional response would be a place that I would completely unconsciously go to if I felt unsafe or if I felt that I had upset someone or if someone was angry at me. And I didn't know how to get out because I had never learned because I wasn't allowed to get out myself. I had to, someone else decided for me. This is putting, and, again, your poops up in, in a whole, like, now it's all making, like, weird dream sense to me. Now it's, oh, oh, yeah, okay, good. Totally. It, you know, it plays a role in a lot of things in, you know, in life. And so I didn't even remember the doghouse and that whole experience until I had been doing dream work for, you know, a good six months. And six months is not a long time, but I was doing it once a week. Yeah. And, um. Uh, and just from there, it started uncovering, you know, relationship to judgment, um, the things that I don't want to admit that I judge about myself or other people, um, and my relationship to fear and safety. Yeah. And so now, because I've been doing it for such a long time on myself, it, it was, 
it has been like the single most effective therapeutic method that I've used because it bypasses my conscious brain. I don't have to talk. My dreams, they don't lie. They're there to help me. All I got to do is talk to my practitioner about the dream and really figure out what is my dream? How is my dream trying to support me? So are you working with others to like talk about their dreams too? Yes. And I, oh yeah, yes. that's how, I, that's one of the things I wanted to bring that because that's what, that's actually what I wanted to, to build this episode around initially. Of course, mm-hmm. we went off on a really awesome, oh, right. poop we, we, yeah, we went off on a big poop tangent, but we, I love it. It's yeah. fine. Um, mm-hmm. But I wanted to ask you about, I have a lot of dreams where in my waking life, I love my disability and it's one million percent a part of me. In my dream life, more and more, I've noticed when I'm having a sexy dream, I am walking. I am totally able-bodied. And mm-hmm. I had a dream a few weeks ago where I was totally able-bodied and I was fucking this dude and I was fucking him, which, which like, standing mm-hmm. up fucking this person. And I remember, and I don't know who it was, but I just remember being like, yep, this is, this is what I want, this. And, like, yeah. so I'm wondering if you could, like, quickly break that down <laughs> with me. Like, is there, do you, think, do you think there's internalized ableism there? Do you think, like, what would that mean? I think there's all kinds of possibilities, but we'd have to really start with when you were standing and fucking him specifically, what do you remember feeling in the dream? Like emotionally, how did that feel? It was hot. I remember feeling, because yeah. then I had, a, then I had a, a nocturnal emission afterwards. So like it, Ooh, so it was really connected. It was yeah. connected. And I remember the feeling of pressure on my toes, which is like pressure on, my, on the balls of my feet, which I never really feel in my day to day. And I remember the the feeling of standing and being like, that feels good. And then I woke up and I felt ashamed about it because I was like, wait, I'm a disability advocate who advocates that you can be whatever the fuck you want. How uh, like, how am I having this sex dream where I'm standing and I'm mm-hmm. the disability sex guy? What Like, what the fuck? Well, there right there is there's a judgment that you have for yourself where you aren't you're potentially judging the fact that you really enjoyed the sensation of standing and as though that you're as though you're not supposed to want that or enjoy yeah. that because of your identity as who you are in your waking life like when i thought about it afterwards i cried because i was like how can i be this disability advocate person who's all about like suck me in my wheelchair yeah 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 but then in my dreams <laughs> my dream self is saying no stand up and fuck this person like n- quote unquote normal Mm-hmm. And I, then I felt immediate shame because I shouldn't, like, the dream was of me and a dude in a bathhouse, which, again, mm-hmm. is a place that I can't access normally. So, like, mm-hmm. it was, I don't know what was happening, but it just felt, I love the dream, but then I hate how I felt about it afterwards. Right. And so this is actually really common when, especially with sex dreams, where we'll have a dream and we are, like, all about it. We are really enjoying the dream. And then we wake up. And then our conscious brain is now in charge and makes decisions and judgments about how we felt about that dream. And that is the that is something that our conscious brain does all day long. It shames us. We shame ourselves. We judge ourselves for all kinds of things. And the thing about dreams are they're not logical, they're not linear, and they're not literal. And so, in your case, with the literal side of things, you fucking someone in a bathhouse while standing as an able-bodied person, there's nothing literal about that. That doesn't necessarily mean that you secretly wish you were that instead of who you are now. But that's what your conscious brain has decided it's about. And 
because it and now that it's decided that it gets to judge you for it or you get to use it to judge yourself for it which ultimately then robs you of that beautiful feeling you had while you were sleeping it was a great feeling and That's then it was that I felt like shit <laughs> exactly but this is the thing so the fact that I mean, there, obviously, this would be like we could do have a whole session about this because I think there's a lot of layers. I here, feel like but after I press off, we should talk about that because I'd love to. <laughs> totally, but just really think about this way. So they, there's you know associations with being able to stand, feel the ground under your feet. There's a sense of, I, I suppose this is like an ableist idea of it, but you know, freedom in the sense that you are using your limbs to support yourself without using anything else. And it's totally ableist, which is part of why the shame was there, because I was like, well... Right. right. But there is something that is just factual about being able to utilize your legs in that way. It is an ability. It is a privilege. It makes things a little bit easier, like fucking in a bathhouse, right? Yeah. You don't have to judge that, because that is a non-value judgment statement. It is easier to fuck in a bathhouse when you can stand on your two feet, right? Yeah. And so the fact that you can access this feeling of fucking the way that you want, the person you want, in the environment that you want, and then be able to feel so connected to that that you physically come while you're sleeping, that is a really valuable, beautiful thing to allow yourself to have. It doesn't have to be a judgment about how you feel about your body. It has everything to do with your ability to like access that kind of pleasure, give yourself that kind of joy, receive it, feel like stable and rooted in it. And like, there's a lot of people who can't get there in their waking life or their dream life. I mean, well, I can't masturbate anymore. So when I come in a dream, mm. it, it sometimes feels great, but also again, I'm, I'm shamed because like, it was nice, but I couldn't, <laughs> I didn't have control over it. So that loss of control of like, okay, my body's going to come now or mm-hmm. just did come. Or sometimes you wake up in the middle of the, of coming and you're like, well, gr- I didn't ask for this. What the hell? Like, yeah. And yeah, there's a whole bunch of ableist shame around that. Totally. I mean, lo- shame is sort of like the driving force in with sex dreams. I mean, the, the heart, the most common sex, uh, common dreams that we have that people don't want to talk about or ask about usually have to do with sex because we're worried, like, what does it mean? Yeah. What does it mean about us, you know, like, deep down secrets? When really, sex dreams aren't necessarily even about sex and everything to do with, like, joy and pleasure and receiving and releasing, um, letting go, and, and, and what our relationship to shame is in general is yeah. oftentimes we even have a sex dream where like we'll feel really good something's going on in the dream that is you know sexy or sexual and something else the dream will shift and something you know the world is suddenly ending or we can't find our car keys or we're late to a meeting or something and that is shame and judgment swooping in to sabotage the feeling of joy and receiving and letting go and then we get to sit there and think interesting so how does shame or judgment play a role in my waking life? Are there times where I'm having a really great time and I sabotage it because my own fear or shame or judgment comes in and shits all over it? Story and we get to story of my like day to day. Yeah. Yep. And so and all that really means is like all of this is just like information gathering. We don't get to 
decide what it means about us. We just get to say, interesting, my brain is trying to, my subconscious brain is trying to let me know that the way that I sabotage and inhibit my own joy is getting in the way, and maybe I'm not super aware of how detrimental it is, but my subconscious brain feels it's important enough to make a dream about it. And so, now that I'm aware, next time I find myself interrupting my own joy with some kind of value judgment, I get to sit there and say, do I want to let this happen again? Do I want to stay in this pattern? Or is there something a little different I can do today to make the outcome a little different? Even if you still feel judgy, fine. But like, even the smallest shift is a shift toward progress. Yeah. Wow, I feel like that's a that's a natural ending point. This we had such a we had such a good like I could sit and talk with you for three more hours, but I don't think anybody sure. wants to listen to us talk talk to each other. Uh, but we will. I'm definitely gonna talk after I press off because I have things to share. Um, okay. So, uh, Anne Hottership, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, I think easiest is if you just go to annhodder.com, and that's H-O-D-D-E-R. Uh, that's my private practice, and you can learn about the stuff I do, and there's a contact form. Um, or you can just follow me on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter at the Ann Hodder. Awesome. And you know what? I used your the I used your the the thing in my stuff now, so all my stuff now is the Andrew Gerza because it's just right. easier and simple, and then I don't have to worry. So and yeah, it's just easier. Uh, this, That's what you do. This was, it's easy. It's just easy, so much better. This was yeah. one of my most favorite conversations on this show because we got to spend an hour talking about poo together. Yes, so I know what a privilege. I feel like that binds our friendship so much more. Um, it's true. Uh, I'm gonna press off now, but it was such a pleasure to have you on the show, and I'd love to have you back. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having. Thanks me. for being here, and talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. My name is, of course, Andrew Gerza, and thank you so much for listening and helping the show go. I really appreciate that you all listen and that you come back every week, and I love doing it, and I love shining a bright light on these topics, so thank you. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com where you'll find my writings, some cool videos I've been in, and you'll see where I've been talking, where I've been doing talks. And if you want to hire me to talk, you can do so there as well. If you want to follow me on the social media, you can put in all my handles on Insta, Twitter, and Facebook at the Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow the podcast specifically, you can follow us on Twitter at DisAftDarkPod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash disability after dark. This show is a completely independent production. I literally record the show here in my bedroom in Toronto, and that's awesome. So if you want to support this fully independent program, you can head over to patreon.com slash disability after dark, and you can pledge $1 a month to get the show early and get really cool perks like that. And I, I will give you a shout out on the air and thank you for your support. It would be super awesome if you could also leave a five-star review 
on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast so that this show all about sexuality and disability, something we don't talk about enough, can get more traction and more people can hear about the show. Lastly, if you want to be a part of Disability After Dark, you can submit your suggestions, story ideas, or your minisodes to our email inbox, disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, we'll be back next time, right here on the program Shining a Bright Light on Sex and Disability, Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations, with music by Chris Sugiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2019